Good morning again. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. We're going to begin studying the book of Ruth this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read for us just the first five verses of the book of Ruth. Before I do that, I want us to pray together. So please pray with me. Our Father, we come to you right now because we long to hear from you. We want to hear your word, your truth, your grace. And Father, there are so many temptations uh, for all of us in this room at this moment. As the preacher, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to, to speak in a way that people will simply uh, look to me or like me. Protect me from that temptation, Father. Let me speak your word, your truth to these people. Father, as the congregation, we're tempted. We're tempted to be distracted. We're tempted to zone out. Or we're tempted to be uh, critical or harsh of the preaching. We're tempted to nitpick. Father, there are so many ways that Satan would, would cause us to, to not listen and hear. I pray that you would be with us right now, that you would open our ears and open our hearts, that we would hear what we need to hear this morning, that it would sink deeply into us, that we would be affected by your word as your spirit uses it in our hearts. Father, teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, our scripture reading comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, there are Bibles in the back on the table there. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you should feel free to take one of those with you. Uh, use it as your own. Write your name in it. Keep it. Bring it back week after week as we study God's word together. Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. A young woman leaves home with her husband and two sons, so her husband can find work. They're in a new town, they're in a strange place, and soon things begin to go wrong. Her husband dies. Well, at least she has her sons, her two sons, so they marry, but for some reason they can't have children, and finally they die. The woman is left a childless widow in a strange place. It's really a tragedy in five verses. 
What we're going to do this morning as we think about these words, as we work through the first five verses of Ruth, is we're going to talk about trouble. We're going to talk about trouble. It's obviously not a happy topic, but it's a necessary one because it's something that we all face in one way or another really every day. We're going to ask three questions about trouble, and we're not obviously going to say everything there is to say about this, but we're going to ask three questions. First, where does it all come from? Second, uh, how do we respond? And third, what, what's the point? So where, where does it all come from? How do we respond? And what, what's the point of all this mess that we find ourselves in so often? And, and I want to give you the answers, actually, right away. I'm going to give you the short form, the summary of what I'm going to say right now. And that is this. Trouble in life is a result of rebellion. It's a call to repentance. And it's a doorway to grace. It's, it's, a, it's a result of rebellion, a, a call to repentance, and a doorway to grace. Life is full of trouble. Where does it all come from? Well... You know, there are lots of different answers given to that question, aren't there? Some people would say that trouble is just natural. It's just a natural part of life. It's just the way it is. And of course, if we live in, in kind of a closed universe, if, if this world is not a moral universe, if this life is everything that there is, then suffering really is natural. Trouble, it's really not trouble at all. It's just a part of nature if this world is all there is. And if trouble is just natural, if it, just, it, 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 it then is the way it's supposed to be, right? It's just natural. And we really should not complaining. Stop complaining, right? There's, there's no need to mourn. It doesn't make sense to, to mourn what is a natural part of life. This is why I think so much of our culture just kind of says, well, we'll suck it up and, and quit complaining. And th this is the way our culture responds often to trouble. Just deal with it. And we do that because life just is for us. There's, there's nothing that you can do about it. Well, this is not really the world we live in. This is certainly not uh, the world that the Bible tells us about. This is not the, the world of the story of the book of Ruth. When we move from sort of the big picture of philosophizing over great things and down to just the mundane details of this story, we get a very different picture of just the world, this is the way it is. Ruth 1.1 says, in the days when the judges ruled. Now this is not a, a mere time marker for the writer of the book of Ruth. He's not just telling you when it happened. But he's telling you something about the spirit of the age. The book of Judges, if you, if you uh, read it, it comes before the book of Ruth in our English Bibles, and it, it records part of the history of Israel that's really just a downward spiral. It just gets worse and worse and worse as you read the book. Israel, rather than trusting in God, they, they had turned to the created things as the source of their hope. Rather than obeying God, they were living as if they were each their own king. So much so that in the end of the book of Judges, the refrain is that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The result, of course, was a nation that was in chaos. And yet God, out of his love for his people, he didn't abandon them. He didn't just leave them, but he disciplined them. He sent nations against them to chastise them. 
You see, he didn't want to abandon them and leave them to their own devices. He, he knows how, how wrong we can go. He knows how much we can hurt ourselves. And so he, he sent things like famine to rebuke Israel, to draw them back to himself. And that was actually part of the agreement God had made with his people years before. And God had brought his people out of Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai. And he said to them, look, if you obey my voice in this land, I'm going to bless your socks off. Things are going to be great for you if you listen to me. But if you disobey, I will punish you with war and, and famine and exile and even death. And so when we come to verse 1, and we read, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. That's not a, that's not a morally neutral statement. The writer's not merely setting the context of, of time and mere situation, but the writer's setting the context of rebellion, the days of the judges, and discipline, a famine in the land. This famine in the land was the result of the rebellion of God's people. Trouble in life really is the result of, a, of rebellion. Now, now, maybe you're thinking, well, okay, even if the trouble in the days of the judges was the result of re rebellion, right? That doesn't mean that all trouble is, right? I mean, you can't honestly believe that just because I stub my toe that God is somehow out to get me. Well, of course not. I, I don't believe that. And yet I do believe that all trouble is the result of rebellion. See, trouble is not natural, the, the trials that we experience, the pains that we go through, are not natural. They're not the way the world was meant to be. People weren't meant to get sick and grow old and die. God did not create the world with disease and death in mind. But war and famine and hunger and poverty and abandonment and loss, these are not just a part of the natural order of things. In the beginning, God created Man, he created Adam upright and he placed him in the Garden of Eden where all of his needs would be taken care of. God had thought of everything. He had provided everything Adam would need. It was only because of Adam's sin that he was cast out of the garden. And the ground itself was cursed. And relationships began to break down. You see, natural disasters and famine, human fighting and squabbling, right? The relational irritations that you experience day to day, right? The, the, the colds and the cancers, right? All of those things, in one way or another, are the result of sin's presence in the world. Our troubles are not natural. Trouble in life is the result of rebellion. Maybe not your rebellion. I'm not saying that every bad thing that happens to you is your fault. That's not what I'm saying. It may not be your rebellion, but of human rebellion as a whole. We have made this world what it is. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Well, what do we do with that? I mean, how do we respond to that trouble? When difficult things happen to you, what's your first response? What's your gut reaction? Where do you go? What do you do? Where do you turn? You may remember the biblical character Job, right? When, when he had incomparable uh, trouble, 
He responded by, by tearing his clothes and shaving his head and sitting on the ground for seven days straight in total silence. Again, I think our response to Job today would be, quit your whining, Job. I just, just get up and move on with it. See, mourning is one a very appropriate response to trouble, isn't it? We should mourn over the trouble in the world. Our culture says, get over it and move on, and that, that's a pretty common response to trouble. But when we turn to Ruth, we see a different response. Ruth 1, verses 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the, into the country of Moab and remained there. You see, in the, in the little town of Bethlehem, there was a man named Elimelech. And when famine came upon the land because of the rebellion of God's people, what was Elimelech's response? He runs. He, he runs from God. There are some interesting uh, ironies in this passage, right? Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethlehem. And, and the fact that there's famine means that there's no bread in the house of bread. Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, rather than trusting in his king to provide for him in the days when there was no king in Israel, he flees Israel. He runs. And this is a pretty common response to trouble, isn't it? If, if God is in any way the cause of the trouble in the world, then I don't really want to go toward him. I want to run away from him. Maybe I've even given up on him. Maybe you've thought this yourself. If God really loved me, I wouldn't be in this mess. Maybe that, those were Elimelech's thoughts. If God were really in Israel, we wouldn't be experiencing a famine right now. I'm out of here. Well, whatever he was thinking... He ran. And notice where Elimelech went. <coughs> We're told that Elimelech went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, Moab doesn't sound, uh, doesn't mean much to us, but for the Israelites, it was, it was kind of the shady side of town. The Moabite family was the result of an incestuous relationship between Abraham's nephew Lot and one of his daughters. And the very name Moab means, who is your father? Which when you answer that question for the Moabites, it's not really a, a, a tasteful answer, right? The Moabites were kind of the, the inbred second cousins of Israel. And their relationship with Israel hadn't been great. After Israel came out of Egypt and was coming into the promised land, the Moabites were afraid of them. And so out of fear, they, they, they first tried to curse them. They were hoping they could sort of get rid of these people who were a bigger and stronger nation than them, maybe. They were hoping to get rid of them by cursing them. When that didn't work, the women of Moab actually enticed the Israelites to worship false gods and to commit sexual immorality. And then later, in the days of the judges, Eglon, the king of Moab at the time, he, he subjugated the people of Israel and forced them to pay him tribute. You see, there was really nothing to commend these people. 
at least from an Israelite standpoint. And yet Elimelech is running from God in Israel to find refuge in the Moabite fields. To find refuge really in, in what for Israelites were the wicked of this world. He was turning to the world to find life rather than to his father, rather than to his God. Now, if you're still not so sure that this was a bad idea, why this is such a bad idea for Elimelech to leave Israel, consider this. One more thing, right? You may remember, again, the story of the Exodus. God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. He promised them a place to call their very own. He brings them into the land, the promised land, and he said he would care for them in this land if only they would obey. He gave them this land as their land. This is yours, God says, and I'm going to bless you here. It really made no sense to leave. For Elimelech to leave was to turn his back on everything that the Exodus meant. To turn his back on the whole history of his people, it's ultimately to turn his back on his God. And notice the result. Elimelech runs, he leaves the promised land, he goes to the fields of Moab, and the result is in verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. So rather than turning to God in times of trouble, Elimelech further rebelled by running from him. And the result for him was death. You know, the prophets even mention dying outside the promised land is a, is a curse that God would bring upon rebellious people. And, and here it came true. Elimelech dies outside the promised land outside the home of his ancestors. And then it gets worse, right? Verses uh, 3 to 5. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. See, at the death of her husband, Naomi, could have repented and gone back to Bethlehem. But rather, she stays in Moab. Apparently, she had gotten comfortable there. And her sons, whose names, by the way, mean sickly and weak, right? what better to characterize our common human condition, they take Moabite wives, which was obviously a bad idea from everything that we've just said, and they die. And Naomi is left utterly alone and empty. Now, again, the more practical among us might wonder, well, what choice did Elimelech really have? I mean, his family was starving in Bethlehem. How can you fault a guy for going where the food was? I mean, it seems harsh, right? Maybe even cruel. I mean, what do you expect him to do? Well, think about this. You know, in, in Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, where God describes his relationship with his people, he doesn't say that their sin is the end. He doesn't say, if you sin, you're out, that's it, we're, do we're done. In fact, he says, after the curses, like, like famine, come on you, after I discipline you in this way, if you will confess your sin." And return to God, he will restore their fortunes and remember his promises. 
See, what was the solution uh, according to God's original plan for his people Israel? It, it's really simple. In a word, it was repentance. Right? He says if you turn back to God, if you own your sin, if you confess it to him, if, you, if you're open and honest before God about where you are, about your wrong, God will be more than delighted to receive you back, to restore you, to show them his, his mercy and not his anger. All they needed to do was to return. This isn't what Elimelech did. He didn't return. He ran further away. It's not what Naomi did. She stayed in the fields of Moab. Yet repentance, turning back to God, returning to him, should be our response to trouble. And we read uh, Luke 13 earlier. And there Jesus talks about some tragedies that had happened in his day. And one of them was a great tower that fell on 18 people and killed them. And Jesus says, do you think that they were worse people than you? And of course, his answer is no. But unless you repent, you likewise will perish. Well, what's his point? Jesus is saying their deaths didn't mean that they, were, that they were worse sinners than everybody else just because they died in some tragic big way. You see, that you know, we have a, an experience similar. When the Twin Towers fell in New York, that didn't mean that New Yorkers were worse people than the rest of us. The same is true with Naomi in one sense. I mean, the famine, you know, that wasn't her fault. We don't know whether it was her fault. We don't know whether she was sinning in Bethlehem. We don't really know. It wasn't her decision to go to Moab initially. And the point is not really to lay blame. We offer, often suffer in ways that are clearly not our fault, don't we? But whatever the cause of our trouble, we, we should turn to God in the midst of our suffering. Every tragedy is a reminder that we live in a world that is under God's curse for sin. And so every tragedy should be a call to repentance for whatever part that we have played in the sin in this world. Trouble is the result of rebellion, and it's a call to repentance. Well, what's the point of all of it? I mean, the first five verses really read like this. The first five verses of Ruth read like this. In a, in a time of anarchy... Judgment was on the land. There was a, name, a man whose name meant God is my king, who rather than repenting and seeking restoration to God, his king, he, he ran away to avoid the consequences of sin without dealing with the reality. He died. His sons, sickly and weak, took Moabite wives, which was a real no-no, and they died. And so the woman, pleasant, which is what Naomi means, pleasant, was left outside the promised land with no husband and no sons to care for her. Her life was anything but pleasant. Looking for fullness in the world, she found herself empty. And it's in this context that God's grace is going to shine forth as we continue reading this story. It's in this context that God's grace always shines forth because it's, this is our context. This is the human context, isn't it? 
We, we often are. We look for fullness in the world. We find ourselves empty. And now we're ready for grace. We're ready for what God has to offer us. See, trouble in life, it's the result of rebellion. It's a call to repentance, but it's also a doorway to grace. Imagine Naomi's life at this point, utterly destitute, having lost all that she loved, all she lived for, her husband, her sons. In, in ancient Near Eastern culture, of course, what this, this, what this meant was Naomi was as good as dead. You know, a single woman had no real way of, of making a living in that culture. And there was no social services to help her out. She had no protection. There were no police to protect her. She was vulnerable and virtually helpless. Naomi is, in that culture, as good as dead. And yet God delights to show his goodness to people like this. Naomi's situation really is it's the situation of every man who finds himself helpless in sin, empty, barren, on the verge of death and destruction. Looking for fullness in the world, we find ourselves empty, empty, and now we're ready for grace. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Again, this is true of all humanity. We're in danger of death. We're unprotected and uncared for and alone. We are a widow without a home. If nothing else... Even if all your life is great and you're saying, I'm not in danger, my life is great. I've got plenty of friends and family and life is perfect. If nothing else, because of sin, we are in danger of God's judgment. But how few of us realize it. We turn to the stuff of this world to satisfy our longings, to give us a sense of safety, which it does for a moment until death in its many forms finds us again. And we are reminded that this life is precarious. And so the question for us is, okay, all right, maybe I am there. Maybe I'm right there where Naomi is, empty and helpless on some level. Maybe God is going to show up in the story of Ruth and care for her. What about me? Does God care for me in my brokenness? Is he going to show up in my life? How do I know that he cares? Well, of course, there's only one way, isn't there? There's only one way, and that is that we have a God who humbled himself and who did show up. We have a God who took our condition upon himself. You know, there are many signs of God's curse in the book of Ruth. There's famine, there's exile, there's death, there's abandonment. Jesus came, and he suffered them all and more. You know, Elimelech experienced the curse of famine in the land of, of bread, and he ran from it to the fields of Moab. He ran away from trouble. Jesus left the fullness of heaven to come to a place of famine, to experience hunger, to know our suffering and know our pain. Elimelech rebelliously left the presence of God in the promised land to seek blessing outside of God's care somewhere else. Jesus obediently left the presence of God in heaven 
to purchase the blessing of God's care for us. Elimelech died outside the land as a sign of God's curse. Jesus died outside of Jerusalem as a sign he had taken God's curse that we deserve upon himself. Naomi was unwillingly abandoned, left alone because of death. Jesus came to be abandoned by his father on the cross in his death. That was the very reason he came, to suffer abandonment for us. Jesus, the true king, came and suffered the curse his rebellious subjects deserve. That rather than God's curse, we might be offered God's mercy in his name. And God had promised judgment on his people if they rebelled. But then he came as a man in Jesus to take the very judgment he had warned about on our behalf. See, trouble in life is the result of rebellion. It's a call to repentance and it's a doorway to God's grace. The, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of man is to run from trouble and seek comfort and safety wherever you can find it. The wisdom of God was to run into it and to take it upon himself for us. And this then becomes for us actually the Christian life. Not running into trouble for trouble's sake, but moving toward the troubled ones, right? Moving into people's troubled lives to bring them grace. The same way Jesus moved into our trouble to bring us grace. See, if you have come to know Jesus' grace in the midst of your brokenness, the question for you then becomes, okay, I know your grace. I've received it. I enjoy it. I'm comforted by the God of grace. Okay, who do you know who has been beaten down by life? Who do you know who is suffering the effects of the curse? Who do you know who's feeling the effects of the sin of other people? Who do you know who is feeling the effects of their own sin? And how can you move toward them and take their trouble upon yourself and show them Jesus' grace for the broken? Now, that, that may take time, and it may be really, no, it will be really, really hard. But as we receive grace, Jesus calls us then to live it out as well, to show it to those around us. Trouble in life, it's, it's the result of rebellion. It's a call to repentance. It's a doorway to grace for you and for those around you. May God enable us to go show the grace to others that he has shown to us. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we praise you for your mercy and grace. We praise you that you are a God who has not abandoned us. In fact, even the very trouble we experience is not a sign that you have abandoned us, but it's actually your call to us to turn back to you. To find life again, not in the things of this world, but in you, our God, the giver of life. Father, enable us to turn to you. Enable us to bring our trouble to you. Enable us to be real about both our trouble and our sin before you. And as we do that, Father, as we then receive from you your forgiveness and your mercy and your love, Father, allow us to be bold to go and share that with others. People on this campus, people in our workplaces, 
people in our neighborhoods, wherever it might be, Father. Strengthen us by grace to show grace. Oh, help us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.